0: And welcome to Fresh Press for February 23rd, 2021.
1: My name is Gabe. And my name is Andrew. This is a show about music where we talk about new tunes and percolating grooves.
0: Wow, that's so good. Well, percolating grooves is actually really good. That's the best one you've ever done.
1: Yeah, I think so
0: too. So our theme this week is coffee. Because who doesn't love a good cup of coffee, right, Andrew?
1: Um, I met a friend for coffee today. I got tea. Okay. Well, (laughs) tea is a good alternative. I want to be clear. I love the flavor of coffee. It's like one of my top flavors. I just never started drinking coffee, so I'm not going to start now. That's fair.
0: This is also our last week of Black History Month, um, where all of our theme picks will come from black artists.
1: And with no further ado, Andrew. My song is called Iced Coffee. And it's by Emmanuel Winter.
0: Why don't you come around? Swing by it, eight thirty. Bring ice coffee with Cameron Bell. I'll be waiting, so please hurry. It's been a long... So this song is. Of just a very normal, like modern rhythm and blues, R and B, chill okay, song.
1: Okay, we're gonna get we're gonna get to where you're going. Oh, okay. we need to lay the groundwork first.
0: Sure, 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 sure.
1: Emmanuel Winter is a singer and songwriter and guitarist and violinist, uh, who is currently based in Charlotte, North Carolina. He's originally from New York. Um, then he moved to Charlotte when he was a teen and that is where he has been for the last several years. He was pretty active in in like the jazz and R&B scene, doing a lot of gigging. And then last year he released his debut album these past two years from which Iced Coffee is the third track and was one of the uh, singles released ahead of the album. The song specifically is, is, is just sort of a, Like you said, a straightforward R&B kind of sexy romantic song, which to me, again, I don't drink coffee. So it seems weird to me that this like specifically 830 p.m. It's very specifically mentioned in the song. This 830 rendezvous is featuring some iced coffee with caramel. I'm sorry, caramel. Is that like a normal time to be drinking iced coffee?
0: I mean, I don't think so, but you could imagine, you know, hot North Carolina summer and you're just started of getting the evening going here mm. at 8:30 p.m. and you need a little extra boost. You don't want hot coffee because it's hot,
1: so you get iced coffee. Yeah, I just don't think of I mean, obviously most people drink coffee in the morning, but it's not it's not ridiculous to be that someone's drinking coffee at 8:30 p.m. It was just weird to me that it was iced coffee because I feel like a late night cup of coffee is a cup of hot coffee. But anyway, you make a good point with with uh, sort of counteracting the weather. Sure, sure. He uses it as sort of a metaphor for the for the whole mood. I like caramel. In my iced coffee, smooth as velvet when I take a sip. Tried and true, you've got the remedy. So come on over, make a trip.
0: Yeah, I mean, it's just good. It's like good music, you know? Uh, yeah. it's fun to listen to and appropriate, and you know, it's it's um maybe not appropriate, but you know what I mean. It's like good, <laughs> yeah. you know?
1: appropriate as in like clean. I mean, he's not like that's as racy as he gets. It's not like obscene, but yeah, it's it's a it's a beautiful R and B tune.
0: Cause you're so much more than a-
1: But then. But then. Gabe, are you familiar with the acronym WHYW? No. W-H-Y-W. It stands for what? Hell yeah! What? <laughs> it comes from noted internet scholar Brian David Gilbert. The original use was in, in discussion of a video game press conference moment but I think it applies to songs at various times. You know, when, when you get something that is so surprising, but also awesome, but also don't forget the, how surprising it is. And for me, a real big why moment comes in this song with the violin solo. It is wild. The first two minutes of
0: the song, no hint at all that there's even a violin involved.
1: Now, hold on, that's not true. There is there is a hint. There's like a little bit, but it's just sort of like in there. It's
0: not at the front of the song
1: at all. No, no.
0: And then you're like, oh, interesting violin. And then it ends with like a ripping jazz violin solo.
1: Yeah, it's, it's crazy and it's so good. This is why I was like sort of slogging through some coffee songs and it was really hard to find stuff that wasn't like a Prince song And I listened to this, I was like, oh, this is nice and groovy. And then we get to that violin solo, and it's just a full 100% percent why moment. I was just sort of looking around. I mean, I live alone. I was listening to this alone in my house, but I was just sort of like looking around being like, are you guys hearing this shit to nobody in my house? So this is not uncommon for him, obviously. He is a violinist and a lot of his gigging is playing violin with jazz and soul groups. So this is sort of his thing. You know, it's not like it's a weird instrument, it's a violin, but it's just so interesting used in here. And I also wanna talk about the way that it is used because honestly, I would not say that this is a violin solo. I would prefer to say that this is a fiddle solo. There's some real aspects to it that sound Appalachian to me. There is a really
0: long and interesting history of jazz violin.
1: No, yeah. Uh, and there absolutely. is a
0: tradition built on it that this is like fits perfectly square inside of, which is why I hesitate to, to, to say it's Appalachian in any way. Like you could look at like Stefan Grappelli, who is a famous French violinist who played with with jazz violins who played with Django Reinhardt. Mm. Uh,
1: And you could trace that or arrive here. In some ways, disagree with the premise of that because I I think that the jazz violin style, because jazz is a style of music that is rooted in the American South, it makes sense that also jazz violin is rooted in violin slash fiddle tradition of the American South.
0: They're absolutely related, but I, I, I don't know if I'm making this very clear, but there's like a separate fiddling tradition that you could think about like bluegrass or Texas fiddle. And it's not that, but there is so much, right? Like like you just said, there's so much variety of American styles of music that exist in jazz and then got brought along to a number of different, uh, very American genres like R&B. And so you definitely have... Lots of this crossover influence.
1: Yeah. He started playing violin in first grade. I think he's around our age. I'm not sure exactly how old he is, but I think he's mid-20s. He does specifically say that when he moved from New York to North Carolina, he got like an actual exposure to specifically Southern blues and folk, which greatly influenced his style of violin playing and his sort of entire approach to his ultimate landing i guess you could say in this genre of like neo soul neo r&b
0: it's such a cool blend of influences here and it's it's not an unusual instrument right like you said but it is unusual to hear a, viol- a violin like this it's very waiwa
1: yeah it's so waiwa Gabe, what do you got brewing
0: over there? This song is called The Coffee Cola Song by Francis Bebe.
1: There are people in town, man, crazy people in town, eating bread and butter and honey and drinking black coffee cola.
0: This song, The Coffee Cola Song, came out in 1982 on an album, and this is somewhat important, called Pygmy Love Song. Francis Bebe is somebody I was not familiar with at all. Andrew, have you heard of Francis Bebe? I have not. This man was a giant of art and culture in a way that I think escapes us because most of his work was done in French Mm, okay he was born in Douala Cameroon in 1929 and then uh, moved to Paris to study at the Sorbonne and then actually spent some time in New York City studying at NYU and then moved back to Paris where he spent most the rest of his life although I think he also spent some time living in Ghana he was obviously a musician but also a talented writer who won like Francophone Literary Awards for his work. Um, One of his books won the Saint-Exupéry Award.
1: As in Antoine? Yes. Author of The Little Prince. I feel like we should clarify that.
0: He also spent time as the head of the music department for UNESCO in Paris. Oh, cool. And had a large influence on the... Like blend of traditional African music with rock and pop, and especially in this era in the late seventies, early eighties, like uh, the burgeoning electronic music era that we hear uh on this song um in particular, he brought in the traditional Cameroonian music style, which is called Makosa.
1: mm, we've talked about Makosa before,
0: specifically mono dibango, yes whose career was in part launched by Francis Bebe.
1: Okay, wow. They believe we are wild, man. They believe we are wild. Just because we don't use any money and we drink no coffee cola.
0: So this song is a cool blend of styles and music and it feels i think in 2021 a little bit kitschy in its music style i don't know if kitschy is the right word but like synths hadn't really been developed in a way yeah and it feels almost like a little bit crude from the electronic front but i think there's some interesting things going on and it's it's cool to see how uh like some of this early crossover between electronic music and traditional African music started to happen, which we've explored uh, elsewhere on this show. What is
1: coffee cola?
0: Yeah, so that's a good question. Um, as far as I can tell, it is literally just a blend of coffee and like cola, like
1: Coca-Cola. So it's not it's not a flavor of Coca-Cola. It is just the two drinks mixed.
0: Yeah, I think at this point in time, it was just the two drinks mixed, although there is like a coffee cola brand, but it's not clear to me that that existed at this time. So there's two like central ideas of the song I want to talk about. The first is the lyricism, which like to contrast with like the almost happy-go-lucky vibe of the song Yeah, is feels like it's about like capitalism and imperialism. <laughs> the idea of like people coming here and calling you a savage and calling you wild because you don't because you don't drink Coffee Cola. But like the last part of the song goes, they keep dreaming of war, hate and crime everywhere. I was told that is to get the money that need to buy Coffee Cola. Yeah. Um, which is a pretty astute commentary that feels specifically directed towards uh, our modern neo-colonial structures. The other cool aspect of this song, Andrew, is the use of the pygmy flute.
1: I was wondering
0: what that was. Right. So you hear like this flute sound that's going on. That's like the main kind of underpinning riff
1: what what do you call it uh to the song i mean in some ways it's like a it's it's a, it's sort of like a call and response kind of thing right like it sort of alternates with the vocal
0: it absolutely alternates with the vocals so this wasn't immediately obvious to me because it's hard to parse out the sounds but there is a flute being played that only plays one note and that's the pygmy flute. hmm it's usually made from bamboo. However, the style of playing it is based on this call and response style where you rapidly alternate between playing that soul note and like singing or calling um, to the flute.
1: To the flute?
0: Well, that's how it's described by Francis Bebey in a video I saw of him, I think in Paris, like explaining how to play the pygmy flute. Interesting. It's like a conversation with the flute that you're having is how you play it. These are rapidly interchanging, and it creates a very distinct and interesting sound. And furthermore, if you are a fan of the indie rock band Arcade Fire,
1: Or, or Arcade Fire,
0: you might recognize this exact same line from their Billboard 100 number one single, Everything Now from twenty seventeen, which sampled this song. Huh, war, and hate and everywhere. I was told that is to get the money they need to buy coffee, Cola.
1: Andrew.
0: I don't know what it was about this week in particular, but I felt absolutely inundated with new music.
1: I was proud of myself last year when like my total came out to be just about the number of like about to be like one album per day on average. And I am at about 120 albums at this point after two months. I think it's going to be a lot. Um, I found a really lovely album from a band called Another Michael. The album is called New Music and Big Pop. And this is the final track, as is my want. Uh, it's called Shaky Cam.
0: At a friend's house making dinner We use lots of ingredients Can't decide how-
1: So, guess what city Another Michael is from?
0: Uh, shit. New York City.
1: Honestly, close. They're from Albany, but... (gasps) How was I going to guess that? What? In 2017, (laughs) they all moved to Philadelphia. Oh, okay, okay. (laughs) So, really, I mean, you just sort of averaged it. So, Another Michael is uh, three musicians... Michael Doherty is the primary songwriter. He's the vocalist. Uh, he also plays guitar. Nick Sebastiano is the bassist, and Aleni Davis plays the uh, like rhythm guitar and keyboards, and uh, you know fills out the rest of the band. So this is their debut full length album. They've had two EPs in the last several years. I think in 2016 they put out Sands, and in 2018 they put out Land and then now it's 2021, and they have new music and big pop. They recorded most of this before the pandemic and have just been working on it over the past year, and I found a couple interviews with them or articles about them and an interview with them on American Songwriter that are uh, – I, I just found it really interesting the way that they sort of work together. Um, it is sort of Michael Doherty writing the songs and then bringing, it, bringing them to the band. It's mentioned in other articles as well. They t- talk a lot about like listening with each other, listening to each other, listening to music and, and sharing other music with each other and how that contributes to their sound. Michael Doherty specifically talks about for this album, uh, he talks about the Roaches, who I love. I don't know if you know the Roaches. I'm
0: not familiar with the Roaches, no.
1: It's not, not that kind of Roach. The Roaches are uh, a, a trio of sisters. Their last name is Roach from the uh 80s and 90s. No a in the word roaches.
0: Well, there goes my papa roach joke that I was going to make.
1: Never mind. <laughs> <laughs> you really should have jumped in with that faster. That wasn't really funny. Um anyway, so the Roaches are like a folk trio, but they got really synthy pretty honestly pretty quickly. They got pretty synthy. Michael Doherty says that that sort of influenced his approach to this project especially in the uh expansion of from his from the the basic song that he wrote into like the full production on the record, and Eleni Davis, who is the uh, keyboardist and guitarist, uh, they mention Kimbra as uh, one of their major influences. and they also say something interesting, which is that uh once they started playing guitar like in a group with a drummer, that really changed their entire approach to playing guitar in the band and in general. He said, like, I started gravitating toward more uh, more towards effects, pedals and experimenting with sound and rhythm in ways I never had before. I don't know. I find it really interesting to get that sort of perspective on not just, you know, what the band's philosophy is, but the nuts and bolts of how playing with one another, figuring out how to play with each other in a band affects both the sound of the band and the uh, approach of the individual members.
0: Yeah, I'm also endlessly fascinated by the creative process itself. How people bounce ideas off one another in, like, constructive, productive ways is really interesting. And I think every group has probably its own methodology. I love the idea of sharing music in particular as a way of spreading ideas and coming up with a sound that you all agree on in, like, a collaborative context. for now.
1: So this is, as I said, the last track on the album, Shaky Cam. Michael himself says that this was the one that was sort of recorded over the longest period of time. He started in 2017 and had a recording of it, but the other members of the band weren't on that recording. And then they just sort of built layers and layers on top of that original recording on and off. And then now it is what it is, which is this, you know, complex, layered piece of music that I found just so uh, engaging.
0: There's some great, like, individual moments on the song, too. Like, when when the song kind of first opens up a little bit, that's really nice.
1: I love his voice, and I think the timbre of his voice and the way he sings really complements the lyrics that he writes in a nice way. The first lines are, At a friend's house making dinner, we use lots of ingredients. Which is we use lots of ingredients is is a little bit of an inane sentence. But I mean, you know, it's it's sort of about being kind of aimless and it is But it just feels right the way he sings it. It reminds me a little bit of Freelance Whales. Do you remember that band? Yes. Oh, I do hear that. In the timbre of his voice there's like this naivety I think. I don't know. There's this like childlike wonder to it that makes you move through his sort of wrestling with adulthood and being a person in general I don't I don't know how to say it. it feels more like in the moment autobiographical it doesn't feel retrospective it feels like you are moving with him in the course of the song which also sort of fits with the titular line he says use my head like a shaky cam So it's like you're you are watching a movie, but also you are you are part of it. Your head is the shaky cam.
0: The whole song gives me the vibe of like home video recording from like 1998.
1: Yes, yes, yes. I think that's exactly right. And that's sort of what I'm ineptly gesturing at. The thing about a home video is that like it feels like there is a person who is the camera.
0: Absolutely, and also it doesn't feel like there's necessarily like a directly cohesive storyline that's happening. It's almost like, oh, look, we have all these ingredients and too many flavors and, well, we're cooking (laughs) dinner and look, look at us cook dinner. A kind of a beautiful snapshot of, of time.
1: But at the same time, it's not that they don't have anything important to say. It's just not, it doesn't feel constructed. right. I think the part of this song that I really enjoy is when it the the chorus really sort of changes vibe. You get this great bass line from from Nick, the bassist. It's really like pushing the harmony in the way that it it is definitely not doing that in the verses. It's just sort of accompanying, but then it kind of takes the lead and pulls everything else along with it in the choruses. And then the last section is just, I, I, I don't know, it's just a great way of ending the album and a great way of ending the song. And because of all of the groundwork that has been laid in the rest of it, that's where I really feel like I am like galloping along with it as, as the song sort of, sort of speeds up and gets a little bit more anxious. Are we focusing enough? Are we focusing too much? It has this like emotional momentum to it that i feel like completely in tune with and i think that encapsulates how i feel about the whole album is that it just feels really good to me i think this is another song that you could classify as an andrew song Mm. Um, (laughs) if if only because like i know i love it but it's so hard for me to explain why i love it because it feels self-evident to me
0: are we focusing
1: Gabe, what's up with you this week?
0: Oh, I see. This is a joke about how elevators can go up. Yes. Well, the song is titled The Elevator, and it's the lead track off the new record from Mr. Goblin, titled Four People in an Elevator, and one of them is the Devil. Sorry
1: for how I'm sorry for why I'm
0: sorry for all the six I dropped on ninety five sorry for where sorry for when, sorry for when. I know that you don't want to see my face again. So this is the second full length record from Mr. Goblin, aka Sam Goblin, aka Sam Woodring, who was also the frontman for the band Two Inch Astronaut, which I'm not familiar with. Okay. Anyway, whatever. They were based out of Maryland at the time, but they're on indefinite hiatus. And so Sam Woodring has been making solo music I'm under the moniker Mr. Goblin and is currently working out of Indiana. Um, he's sort of launched this whole project uh, with the help uh, of City Dupuis, who is Sad 13, and who I, I think knows every indie artist in America. I'm not sure. Yeah,
1: seems like it.
0: I think Two-Inch Astronaut did some touring with Sad 13 for a little while, or maybe with Speedy Ortiz. On the whole, this album and the song is like good emo rock think is the broadest way to describe it and this song in particular has some lovely fun lyrics um that are also surprisingly melancholy both in the way that they're sung and also maybe if you like listen a little bit more
1: (laughs) yeah if you think about what it exactly is
0: yeah exactly the song is sort of an apology song i guess i mean it starts off with with Mr. Goblin apologizing for littering on I-95. <laughs> um, yeah. Then like jumps into this interesting like thought idea of four people being in an elevator, and one of them is the devil, but nobody knows that they're the devil. So you think maybe
1: I'm the devil? Is this like a thing? Like Is this like a famous thought experiment, or is this just some weird shit that Mr. Goblin came up with? I'm fairly sure it's the latter, but to be okay. honest, I didn't look up four
0: people in an elevator and one of them is the devil outside of the context of music. Mm. But it does sort of feel like you know you put these four people in the elevator and one of them is like a shitty person. Am I the shitty person? Maybe I'm the shitty person. I think that goes along with the whole like apologizing for your sins and littering on I- I-95 and then trying to be like, wait, maybe are we the baddies?
1: Now in 2010 there's a film called Devil and the premise is a group of people are trapped in an elevator and the devil is mysteriously amongst them.
0: That sounds like a terrible movie.
1: It has a 44 Metascore on Metacritic. So So it is a
0: terrible movie. Sounds like it. Well, fortunately this song is better than that movie. It's four. Devil. Sure that it's not them. Sam Woodring has a really lovely voice for this style of music. Like it feels very flexible. I don't know if that makes sense. Like his range feels very comfortable here, and he's like able to do sort of the more theatrical style of singing that sometimes you need for this music. And there's like a lovely guitar part that like intersects melodically with the, the vocals and then drifts apart and then comes back together.
1: Sorry, what are you talking about? I was uh, distracted reading about this movie. Wow.
0: Never mind. The Terrible. original story
1: was written by M.H. Uh, Shyamalan.
0: Oh, wait a second. Hold on. Hold on. Okay, I found an interview with a blog called The Family Reviews that is mm. of strange... Huh, I, maybe I should have read this interview more carefully because there's like... Okay, it's it's a weird interview. Uh, there are weird questions being asked. But also, I guess for this one, I wanted to do something held together by some sort of axis or theme and ended up settling on the movie Devil, which is a pretty silly unifying uh-huh. factor. But here we are. Okay. I thought I saw so... the name M. Night Shyamalan in here.
1: <laughs> okay, so the answer was, in fact, right in front of us um also i feel like i just want to say that based on the album artwork i think it's pretty clear which one of them is the devil it's the guy who's who's like covering his horns with his hoodie who looks suspiciously like mr goblin himself anyway the music yeah what'd you think i was really into it this was on my list until pretty late in the game when i decided that um probably it would be a better you song than me and lo and behold you picked
0: it here we are yeah the whole album is really good not all of it as is as like quite as upbeat or as uh flippant I don't know if that's the word I want to use but you know what I mean like humorously written as this one yeah there's a single off this album called a hook in the eye which uh, is about people who are scam calling his grandmother i believe so
1: mm. yeah, this
0: sort of theme persists
1: is his grandmother Emma chamlin wait what is what theme persists no, like the humorous,
0: like, uh, like slightly tongue in cheek songwriting. Okay, I just thought it was a good song. <laughs> cool.
1: Yeah, it is a good song. How do I
0: earn their trust back? How do I face- So as I was alluding to earlier, there was a sort of absurd amount of music released this week that I thought was, like, good. What in particular did you like?
1: There is an album called Good Timing by Adeline Hotel, um, who is a, a friend of Ben Saratan's. He played on their 2020 record, Solid Love. It's mostly solo acoustic guitar, and it's really, really beautiful.
0: There's a lovely, like, Indie folk album from Cassandra Jenkins titled An Overview on Phenomenal Nature, which I really liked, especially the song titled Hard Drive.
1: Yeah. Wild Pink had an album called A Billion Little Lights. that I also really enjoyed a lot, of, a lot of those songs. A little more dreamy. Yeah, at times
0: reminded me of The War on Drugs. Yeah. Indigo Spark put out a record titled Echo. Who worked and she worked with Adrian Lenker on this album?
1: Oh uh, yeah, <laughs> they were dating, and they broke up. And Adrian Lenker wrote songs and instrumentals. Her incredible albums from last year. There was a great jazz album called uh, "Pegada Agora e Essa," the sway now, uh, by Antonio Nevés. Ah, you beat me to it. You couldn't tell because I I totally butchered the Portuguese?
0: Yes. He features a number of other like talented Brazilian musicians on the record, and it is excellent. I was very close to bringing a song off of it. Yeah, it's
1: really, really good.
0: Um, on the jazz front, there was also a really cool record called Rooftop Stories from Petros Campanas, which is yeah. bass, just jazz bass.
1: Mm-hmm. And uh, Cameron Graves put an album called Seven that I listened to on Friday night, and I think I sent it to Gabe at like 1 o'clock in the morning being like, look, I'm probably not going to pick something from this, but I just want you to know that this album does fucking rip. And I do concur.
0: Katie Kirby put out her
1: full-length record, Cool
0: Dry Place, title track of which was featured on this podcast by Andrew.
1: Yes. The last one I want to mention is X Ray? I've never known how to say this band name. But it's the woman who was the uh front person of the band daughter, which I love very much. She then did a solo project called X Ray E X colon R E. I don't really don't know how to say it. She collaborated with the uh composer Josephine Stevenson and put out sort of a uh reorchestration of her self titled album from Uh, a year or two ago with uh, all strings backing. And it's really, really lovely.
0: And the last record I'd like to mention is from Lyle Neal. Oh, yeah. Putting out a record called Acquainted with Night, which features an instrument called the Omnicord, which is so distinct and interesting. And she has beautiful vocals, um, very folky very very spare in some ways and delightful. While you're listening to all that good, good music from this week, you should, if you haven't already, give us a follow on Twitter, at FreshPressedPod. And in the show notes, we have a link to our Spotify playlist that contain all of our music that's been featured on the show. We have a separate playlist just for this year, and then there's also a playlist from the last year and a half before that. We'll be back on March 2nd, With more tunes and more grooves. But for now, I'm Gabe. I'm Andrew. And you've been listening to Fresh Pressed.